Bible's with me this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter number 2. And uh, I'll go ahead and read the first 10 verses. I'm sorry, not the first 10. Actually, the last 10 verses. So if you'll stand with me, I'll begin reading at verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord your God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto him about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let us pray. Our Father, we stand before you this morning, and we must, as David asked the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Father, we are not worthy of your love, we're not worthy of your grace, yet you loved us with a holy love, and you called us according to your purpose, and you saved us. And Lord, now as we come together this morning to praise your name and to worship you, we we desire to speak today from your word. And I pray that you would take this message today and that it would work in our hearts, that it would encourage us, that it would would admonish us, that it would just, Father, just help us, help us to love and, and respect and honor the church as you desire that we do. So we ask you to bless this time now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We read here from Acts chapter 2, and this is the day of Pentecost. And at the day of Pentecost, Peter and, and the other apostles and the disciples in the, in the formed church of Jerusalem, uh, the Spirit of God descended upon them in the form of a dove, a tongue of fire, as we all know. And uh, as they were praising God and worshiping him, uh, there was a large company of people there who, who were confounded by what they were seeing and hearing. So they came to them and they, they, they inquired of them as to what was going on. And Peter stood... And Peter preached before these people. And we're now here at the end of Acts chapter 2 where Peter has now closed his message and he's now challenging these people to consider their own hearts. And we read here that 3,000 people were saved and were added to this small church in Jerusalem at that day. If I were this morning to take a poll of 1,000 people, what percentage do you think would attest to the importance of the church? Well, I would imagine that it would be somewhere between 80 to 90% of the people that we would poll would say, yes, the the church is important. It's, It's a good thing. Yet, 
less than 50% of the world's population that attest to being Christian or belonging to a Christian church actually attend church on a regular basis. The majority of people that I have met in my 30 years of ministry consider church to be a good thing. I talk to people all the time. They say, oh yes, I believe church is a good thing. I, I think churches are good. However, the, most do not consider it to be a priority. They treat church as just an optional part of their worship and of their service to God. And I believe this is in large part because they do not understand the importance God places upon the church. And this is because they fail to properly understand the character of God. When people do not have a proper understanding of something, they tend to place less of a priority on it. Take your job, for instance. You understand the importance of your job. Without your job, you could not support your family. You could not buy food. You could not pay utilities. You could not pay your mortgage. You could not afford health care. So, because you understand the importance of your job, you get up every day and go to work. Even when you don't want to get up and go to work. Even when you don't feel like working. Even when there is something else that would be more enjoyable to do. You place... You have placed a high priority in your job, as you should, and you are faithful to your job. You understand that if you don't consistently show up for your job, you will be fired. This we understand, and so we place a high priority on our jobs. So without any thoughts or reassessments of our priorities, we all head off to work, singing the song of that famous Heptet, the seven dwarves. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. Now back to the church. While the majority of people consider church important as a concept, the majority of these do not place the proper priority on the church. And again, in my opinion, of 30 years' experience in the ministry, it is primarily because they do not understand the role that the church plays in their lives. Far too many Christians today have adopted a polytheistic view of the church. What I mean by this is these view the church as just one means of fellowshipping with God, just one of the ways to serve the Lord. This viewpoint will cause the church to become less prioritized to us. It will then cause us to, by our own standards, weigh the importance of church against the opportunities or circumstances of that moment. In other words, let me ask a question. What does it take to keep you from church? I have never visited an absentee who looked me in the eye and said, I had something more important to do. I've never heard that. I've been visiting absentees for 30 years. Not once have I ever had one of them just look me in the eye and say, I had something more important to do than go to church. Because they know how stupid a statement that is. Oh no, everyone I've ever visited in that situation had an excuse. It reminds me of a story in the Bible. In Luke chapter 14, 
Verses 16 through 20. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servants at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, that's the only guy that had a legitimate excuse. I can say that because my wife's not in here. And, of course, the most common excuse I hear today is to say, well, God understands. God understands I had something that I had to do, and I just couldn't be there. But does God understand? Well, let's see if he understands. We look at Exodus chapter 20 otherwise known as the Ten Commandments. And we read, beginning at verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and hollowed it. God has given you and I six days to do all we need to do. Six days to work. Six days to play. Six days to do all that we desire to do. All that is good and right, that is. But upon the seventh day, we are to revere and honor God. We are to venerate his day of rest. We are to worship him. So our task at hand this morning is to determine the importance of church. Is there anything that should take priority above church in our lives. If there is, then we had better put the church in its proper priority. And that is exactly what I am trying to do this morning. Now I submit to you this morning that there is nothing more important in the life of the Christian than his or her church. Family. Family is important. No one believes this more than me. When my wife and I exchanged marriage vows... On September 13th, 1980, we pledged to love no other person more than we loved each other. We pledged to be loyal to no other person more than each other. We vowed to let nothing, including sickness and death, separate us. No one believes more than me that a father should love and care for his children. He should provide for them. He should comfort them. He should instruct them. Family is important. Our jobs. Jobs are important. We were created by God with a, or, or, I'm sorry, I've jumped my lines here. By your job, you will provide for your family. You will support your local church. By your job, you can support missions. You can help those in need around you. Friends. Friends are important. We were created by God with a desire for companionship. The ability to make and maintain friendships was given to us by God. We do not desire to be alone. We desire companionship. Now, these are all important things. And there are many other things in our lives that could be considered important. However, we must determine this day are things such as these more important than the church. Because if they are, then we should be investing our lives in those things. However, if they are not, 
then we should invest our lives in the church. And furthermore, if the church is more important than all these things, then how dare we place them before the church? We live in what is known as the church age. It is known as the church age because God has placed all his emphasis in this age upon the local church. If God's emphasis was placed upon the family, we would be living in the family age. If God placed his emphasis upon our jobs and making money, we would be living in the work age. It does make sense now, doesn't it? It is called the church age for a reason. And the reason is because the church is the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I believe this scripture perfectly epitomizes the importance of the church. Imagine a a man who claims to love his wife, yet he is unfaithful to her. He places his job ahead of his wife. He forsakes his time with her to be with his friends. Over time, his relationship with his wife will begin to deteriorate. It will become less and less important to him. It will even eventually become bothersome to him until he reaches the point where he will utterly forsake her. But notice that Paul said that Christ loved the church. He gave himself via the crucifixion for the church. He sanctifies or purifies the church. And he cleanses the church by the washing of his people in his word. Now I ask you, if the church is so important to Christ, shouldn't it be important to us as well? Should we we place less emphasis upon the things that are important to Christ? Should the church be a priority to us? Or is it just an option? So, at this point... I believe we have adequately established the importance of the church to the believer. And I believe that we have established that nothing should take priority over the church. Therefore, I'd like to take the time I have remaining, which you don't know how much it is, so, but I do. Therefore, I'd like to take the time I have remaining this morning to discuss the role the church plays in the lives of the believer. So we'll start out here with, Roman number one on your study sheets, and that is this. The church is the place of doctrine. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we read earlier, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Notice the words there, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Every student in my class understands the definition of the word doctrine. See, I think all of you guys over there are in my class, right? What does the word doctrine mean? Say it loud. That's right. The definition of doctrine is teaching. I tell them all the time, there are many forms of doctrine. There's doctrines of math. There's doctrines of science. There's doctrines of government. And there are spiritual doctrines. 
So doctrine is simply stated teaching. In other words, these church members continued in the preaching and the teaching of the apostles. So you might say, so what's the big deal? Well, if we consider that there were many doctrines or many teachings in Jerusalem at that time, then we begin to realize the importance of the doctrine of the church upon the spiritual understanding of the believer. Man, whether regenerate or degenerate, will by nature misunderstand and misinterpret Scripture. Apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit, truth eludes us. And this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, where Paul writes, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This is why the doctrine or the teaching we receive in church is so important. And we must not be so naive as to think that all teachers have our best interest at heart. For Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 where he states, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Oh yes. Men such as Oral Roberts and Robert Tilton, Jimmy Swaggart, Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, just to name a few. These men use their charisma and influence to prey upon unsuspecting people. People who are hurting and are truly in need of spiritual guidance. But unfortunately, they will not receive help or guidance from these whom they, whom they seek. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we read, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Oh, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of preachers out there, and there's a lot of teaching out there. But Peter warns us that most of it is just simply to get the money from your pocket into theirs. And that's about as clear as it can be made. I've, I've been teaching doctrine to our students in high school all year. We're, we're on our 18th lesson on doctrine. And I've told all of them, every one of them, they got to weigh the doctrine that they're being taught against the Spirit of God in the Scriptures. Over the years, I've been asked, isn't one church as good as another? And the answer is, no. We must weigh the doctrine of the church to prove its worth. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Why do I need a church? I need a church because there's a lot of bad doctrine out there. There's a lot of lies. And those men don't care about my wife. They don't care about my children. They don't care about my grandchildren. They want to make merchandise of them. They want to use them up and throw them in the garbage can. 
I need a church because I need good doctrine. And I need to make sure that I'm getting taught the right things. So this morning, I need a church because the church is the place of doctrine. And secondly, I need a church because the church is the place of fellowship. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we continue to read, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Now, an argument can be made here that we can have fellowship away from the local church. And I would agree with that statement. Probably all of you in this room have friends outside of our church family. And maybe you occasionally get together with them. I, I don't know. It is possible to have fellowship away from the local church. However, I believe it's very important here that we understand there is a difference between the various types of fellowship that we can consider. Certainly, we can partake of and enjoy in personal fellowships, both with God and with others. I enjoy having people over to my house for for fellowship, especially in the summer. I like to barbecue, and I like to get out in the backyard and and, uh, have a good time with my friends. I like to fellowship. However, there is a fellowship that is unique to the assembly of believers in the local church. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, we read, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. You see, the fellowship of the church is such that it unites the believers. In Acts chapter 2, our, our text verses, if, if you're still there, look at verse 44. states here, And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. Do you notice the unity in this group? You see the fellowship? You, you might have a nice neighbor that you know real well, and, but you start showing up at his house every night for dinner, and he's going to break that fellowship real fast. See? But the unity of the believers in the church is, is unique. And verse 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. The, God brought this group together. So much so that they all went out and sold everything they had and brought all their money and pooled all their money together and just all lived as one big family. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what we need to do at Moran. Of course, if any of you got working toilets, I might be interested in taking you up. It is this fellowship of believers that makes the church a body. Consider your own body for a moment. Billions of cells, all assembled into one body. And when one part of the body aches, all of the body aches, right? Doesn't it? Last week I caught that stomach bug or whatever it was. I was sore from head to toe. Every, even my hair hurt. When one part of the body aches, all of the body aches. And the health of the body depends upon the fellowship of its many members. Listen, the last thing I need is for my liver to start fighting with my kidneys. They need to get along and work together in harmony. As Christians, God has brought us together into one body. 
We have come from, in this church, we have come from Kentucky, Louisiana, Wisconsin, Texas, Oklahoma, Oregon. Did I miss any states? Who's from the state I didn't mention? Tennessee, Virginia, what? Minnesota, Idaho. We even have people from Philippines, from Korea, from Central America, from Mexico. Do we have anyone from South America? We are comprised of English, French, Italian, Irish, African, Asian, Hispanic, and German ancestries, and probably more. I think, I think Mrs. Andrews is Swedish. Gary, aren't you Swedish? The Sved, yeah. <laughs> we consist of bankers, lawyers, nurses, psychologists, accountants, secretaries, teachers, plumbers, electricians, carpenters, homemakers. Probably missed some of those too. But God has brought all of us into one fellowship. Some keep up the grounds. Some maintain the building. Some play music and some sing in our worship services. Some teach the children. Some care for the infants in the nursery. Some cook. Some clean. Even something as seemingly insignificant as a cold glass of water on the stand for the song leader and the preacher. All of these things work together so that this body can function at its best through this local church. And this unique fellowship binds us together with one mind, with one heart, with one purpose, and with one God. Oh yes, we can have fellowship apart from the church. However, this unique fellowship can only be found in the local church. So, church is a place of doctrine, it is a place of fellowship, and then thirdly, The church is the place of communion. Acts 2.42, once again, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Webster defines communion as the body of Christians who have one common faith and discipline. Many today profess Christ and claim to be in accord with the church, yet they are not a part of the church. These have attempted to replace the church by becoming a follower of multimedia ministries. Some attempt to replace the church with parachurch organizations. Yet these cannot offer the believer the communion that can only be found in the local church. In the church we are united with those of the same faith, those who adhere to the same doctrines that have been baptized in the same spirit, We hold ourselves accountable to the church and its government. And this is one of the biggest reasons so many avoid the communion of the church, is they will not make themselves accountable. And also, that's the biggest contribute to their derelict state, is that their own, the only person they report to is themselves. In the church, we share the observance of the Lord's Supper. In the church, we administer the ordinance of baptism. In the church, we preach the truth of the word of God. 
In the church, we unite as living examples of the gospel of Christ. In the church, we share our time. In the church, we share our talents. In the church, we share our treasure for the work of the Lord. We unite in prayer, one for another, and we unite in prayer for those in need around us. In the church, we dedicate our children. In the church, we teach them the things of the Lord. In the church, we give them away in marriage. We memorialize our loved ones who have gone before us. In the church, we forge relationships. In the church, we share all that we have for the good of others. In the church, we rejoice together. In the church, we weep together. In the church, we pray together. In the church, we worship God together. Did you notice the common words in that list? What were they? In the church. Not outside the church. Not apart from the church. In the church. So now that I've given you what the Lord has laid on my heart to give you today, now I want to ask you a question. And the question is this. Do we need the church? Do we need the church? I conclude that more than anything else that I could have this day, I need my church. I don't need a million dollars, although it wouldn't be bad. I do need working toilets. <laughs> I do need that. But besides that, I don't need anything. I said, I said in concluding the Sunday school hour, if you are not content with having nothing but Christ, then you will never find contentment. Because Christ is all we need. He's everything. What about you today? Do you need the church? The church is the place of doctrine. It's where we're taught truth. It's where our children, it's where your children will be taught. It's, it's where your grandchildren will be taught spiritual things. Church is the place of fellowship. It's the place where we come together and unite. Different people, different cultures, different, different places all come together and God unites us. And through, through the fellowship of his word and through the fellowship of the church and through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we are all made as one. We, we, we live and dwell in harmony together. In, a, in one accord, they, it says in Acts, they, in one accord. And then the church is a place of communion. I need the church today. The church has top priority in my life. And I'll say this. I believe anything you need in today, in this world, anything you need can be found through the local church. No matter what it is. God provides it through the local church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time today. Lord, perhaps some people didn't agree with some of the things I said. But Lord, your word agrees with the things I said. And as we stand here now and stand in your presence, Father, we know that you love the church. You gave yourself for the church. And if we are going to serve you, it must be in the church. So help us now to, to have an understanding of how important the church is to us and, and, and follow your admonishment and not forsaking ourselves from the assembling of the church. Bless the words that were spoken today. 
I pray that you would use them to your glory. Yes, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.